Let's uh, bow together. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to praise you and to thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, whom you sent, and he willingly came and lived the perfect life and went to the cross and died for our sins. Thank you. And thank you that we have the privilege of worshiping you today and exalting him. And Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that you would open our hearts to understand what you have shared, that we would respond. I pray for those who don't know you that today would be the day of salvation. And for those of us who do, that we would be overjoyed with what you have done in Christ for us. We thank you for this time and commit it to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today in many different churches, you may hear many different offers of salvation. And I have no doubt in many churches that the offer of salvation comes uh, over and over again. Now, unfortunately, as I was taught in seminary and many churches have adopted, uh, they have adopted man's ways to bring about what they believe is God's offer of salvation. Let me give me an example. Some say, try Jesus out, see what he will do for you. Others say, just raise your hand, accept him, and you will find purpose for your life. Some say, just believe in Jesus, but that belief that they share is a belief without an understanding of sin and repentance. It's not one that includes that. Now within that, there are many offers of salvation, and some of them are genuine. But yet some of them are not of God. Now today, we're going to see from the Word of God what God offers us. Would you turn your Bibles to Isaiah 55 and... uh, we're going to finish up here in Isaiah and, Lord willing, go back to our series in First Thessalonians next week. And in the book of Isaiah here, I believe we're going to see, for those who have not trusted in Christ, an offer of salvation, a free gift for those who will recognize their sin and thirst for salvation. And then for those of us who have trusted in Christ, who have believed in his Son for the forgiveness of sins, we will understand more clearly what God offers, that we can share that as God leads. Now let me show the context of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is about the restoration of the created order. And this restoration comes in the form of judgment and redemption, which will be culminated by the restoration of the kingdom. In the first 39 chapters, by and large, we have the Lord's character revealed, his character of holiness, righteousness, and justice, and future judgment revealed. Then in chapters 40 through 66, we have redemption promised, provided, and then realized. So the subject of the book of Isaiah is restoration of the created order. And again, it comes through judgment or salvation based on the response of those who listen. Now, as we saw last week in Isaiah 53, Israel's and our ultimate redemption would come through the person of Jesus Christ, the suffering servant who would be rejected, who would be pierced for our transgressions, because although all of us like sheep have gone astray, the Lord would cause the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. And then in chapter 54, we see the beginning of the results declared for the nation of Israel in regards to their redemption, which would be through Christ. 
more specifically that because of Christ, the Lord, in the context of his great compassion, will establish ultimately Israel in righteousness and safety, and no weapon formed against her will prosper. And it's from this reality we come to chapter 55, a section in which we have a tremendous present tense offer of salvation. And although this directly applies to Israel, uh, we see, when Isaiah was writing, we will see it's based on the rest of the word of God. The offer is, applies to all mankind, and that means us. So today, I believe we're going to see, in light of the many offers of salvation that man lays forth, we will see what the Lord offers to each and every one of us. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. Now, we're going to look at 13 verses here, but we're really going to focus on the first seven verses for time's sake. And I believe we're going to see within this primarily God's invitation to receive the gift of salvation and a warning to respond rightly in the context of repentance before it is too late. So then let's take a look at God's invitation to receive his free gift of salvation. Verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. So we have, first of all, in verse 1, an open invitation to all who spiritually thirst. Notice he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come by wine, milk, without money, without cost. Now, given the context of this offer is the nation of Israel, but in reality, God's plan was always to move salvation from Israel to the whole world. And indeed, the gospel is for the Jew first and then the Greek, Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 10, we find the wonderful reality also that with Gentiles, whoever will call, and Jews, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so notice our passage begins with this word ho, and we just got done with Christmas, right? <laughs> well, it doesn't mean that, but uh, it's an interjection uh, here translated from the Hebrew, which often is translated woe or alas. And it's been translated that way many times up to this point. But here it is translated ho. It is designed to grab your attention. Listen up. Listen up. Stop and think about it. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. It's a pretty simple analogy. If you are thirsty, come to the waters. It's an analogy. Now, although this passage uh, speaks of this coming to the water and drinking, we're going to see ultimately it is about the offer of salvation. Look down at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon or literally forgive. It's an offer of salvation that we need to listen up. 
Those who are thirsty for salvation come. It is not to those who do not believe they are in need of salvation. It is for those who believe they need salvation. You see, there are those who think they're just fine. Maybe their religious works get them through, whatever it might be, or they think they're fine in the ultimate balance of things. Proverbs 30, verse 12, There is a kind of person who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. You see, friends, the offer is not to those who do not believe that they have no need. It is to those who understand that they need salvation, those who are thirsty, those who are thirsty. Those who have, by God's divine intervention and conviction, realized their need of salvation from their sins. Turn to Luke chapter 18, and we have a very religious person praying, and we have someone who uh, is praying also, which exemplifies the heart that is right before the Lord concerning sin. Two different people, two different hearts. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, uh, even like that, this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, but whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Turn, turn back to Isaiah 55. You see, unfortunately, there are those that don't believe they need salvation. But there are also those who are thirsty but go to the wrong place. And here, we're going to see the right place to go if you are thirsty. Verse 1, Ho, oh, everyone who is thirsty or thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The offer is to those who are bankrupt. You who have no money, come buy and eat. The prerequisite to coming to faith in Jesus Christ is recognizing your inability to save yourself or to be saved by any other means than the person of Jesus Christ. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. It's God through his word that realizes we have a need for salvation. Earlier in Isaiah chapter 53, he said, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way. We've all sinned. We're going to see later on that it's our thoughts and our deeds. We've all sinned. And God has made it clear throughout the book of Isaiah that judgment is coming, but then he has revealed the Savior, Jesus Christ. But let me share some of those judgment passages. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 27, Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones with righteousness. But transgressors and sinners will be crushed together, and those who forsake the Lord shall come to an end. God makes it clear. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger. To make the land a desolation, he will exterminate its sinners from it. 
For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. And I will, thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind in the gold of Ophar. Isaiah 33, verse 10. Now arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff, you will give birth to stubble. My breath will consume you like fire, and the peoples will be burned to lime. Let, let cut thorns which are burned, like cut thorns that are burned in the fire. You who are far away, hear what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. Sinners in Zion are terrified, trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire, with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with a continual burning? He's made it clear that there's judgment coming for sin, but he's also shared the offer through Jesus Christ that all have sinned, that we have all strayed and gone our own way. And we need to recognize we are in need of a savior first before we can call out to the savior. You who have no money, Come, buy, and eat. We need to be bankrupt before the Lord concerning our ability to bring about our own salvation. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, And at that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called to himself a child and set him before them, and to himself, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's humility, recognizing what your child just believes what they hear. But what God says is true, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Luke chapter eighteen seventeen. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter in it at all. The reality is God will judge sinners, but before one can be saved, we need to have a thirst for salvation and understanding that we are in need of a Savior. So then the offer here is to those who would listen up. Everyone, ho, everyone who thirsts, back in Isaiah 55, come to the waters and you who have no money come by and eat. Sounds like somewhat of an oxymoron. Come and buy oxymoron. Come and buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Now, there's many that make much about the wine, milk, and water and the symbolism there, but that's not the point. He's using an analogy. God is buy it without money. You need it. You need to purchase it, but it doesn't cost anything if you go to God. It doesn't cost anything. The point is, you need it. It does cost. But it's no cost to you within the Lord's offer. You see, folks, you will never be saved if you believe you must do something. Salvation is not through any work of our own. It is not through a physical baptism. It is not through the sacraments. It is not through any work that anyone is saved. The work that has done by Jesus Christ alone is that in which we're saved. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's man's problem. The prerequisite to coming to Jesus is an understanding of your sin, and thus a thirst and a need for salvation. A conviction of sin. Secondly, you must understand that nothing within yourself or anyone else apart from the living God, can fulfill the need of salvation. There's nothing you can do. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine, milk, without money, without cost. Now notice there's an exhortation now as we continue to evaluate your spiritual life, to evaluate where you are. Look at verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Again, with that analogy. Two parallel statements here to the thirsty. One looking for salvation from their sins. Now this is to the one who actually realizes they need salvation. But they're going to the wrong place. They're going to the wrong place. Why do you spend money when they offer us for free, Right? Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? It's not salvation. It's not what you need. And your wages for that which does not satisfy. The term satisfy speaks of being filled or fulfilled. Why are you expending your wages for that which does not satisfy in the context of true salvation? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Jeremiah chapter 2. You see, the Jews were guilty of this. They went to a religiousness rather than the God who was revealed in the Word. Jesus would say to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think in them there's eternal life. They thought by obeying the Word they got eternal life. But he says, it's those very Scriptures that point to me, and yet you are unwilling to come. You see, Jesus Christ gives eternal life, and then he enables us to obey his Word. Jeremiah 2, verse 12. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder, be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They've forsaken the Lord and gone to religious stuff. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It can't hold water. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They've made for themselves religious substitutes. And the Lord says here, why do you spend money? Why do you do your religious things? Why do you do this? For that which is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy. It's a bogus deal. Why do you seek and work for a counterfeit? Why do you do so? You see, it's only the Lord who saves, and it's by his grace that we are saved, not of our own works. Not of our own works. And so notice what the Lord says. He says in the middle of verse 2, Listen carefully to me. If you're working for your salvation, listen carefully to the Lord. He says, And eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Listen carefully. Listen carefully in the context of the Scriptures and partake of salvation. 
What did he say earlier in Isaiah chapter 53? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Listen carefully to him. Listen carefully and partake of salvation through the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. It's a free offer. It's a free offer. Middle of verse 2. Listen carefully and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. The term abundance uh, here is we're going to see is to delight yourself in abundant pardon or forgiveness. You see, when you're saved, we can delight in the forgiveness that Christ has brought us. Tremendous, wonderful realities. When you realize how sinful you really are, what a delight it is to be forgiven. What a wonderful thing. So then he says, pay attention, listen carefully, listen carefully. Look at verse 3, incline your ear and what? Come to me. He doesn't say do stuff. He says, incline your ear and come to me that you may live. It's life and death. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. The Lord is calling upon you to endear your heart to hear his truth concerning your sin and the Savior, Jesus Christ, to then come to him and listen carefully that you may live, that you may live. Instead of working for your salvation, come to God, come to Christ. Listen to what he has to say that you may live. And what does he have to say? The reality is the wages of sin is death. You see, sin brings about death. And God wants you to know that because he doesn't want you to die in your sins. He loves you. He doesn't want that to happen. So he wants you to listen. He wants you to listen. Listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 20. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. You see, we need to hear about punishment for sin. We need to hear about that so that we recognize what we need to be saved from, so that we receive the free gift and we are delivered forever and forgiven revelation chapter 20 verse 11 and i saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it and from whose presence heaven and earth fled away and there was no place found for them and i saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to the things which were written in the books according to their deeds And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And he said earlier in Revelation that those who overcome are in the book of life. And then in 1 John 5, who is it that overcomes? The one who believes in Jesus Christ. You see, you can gain the whole world and lose your own soul. But God is gracious, and he wants you to listen. Listen about where you are really at concerning your sin and thus salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you come to Jesus, then you need to listen to what he has to say. Come and listen. Don't work for salvation. You've got heavy loads, burdens that you cannot bear. 
Jesus will lighten those loads. He will lift those religious burdens off your shoulders because his load is light. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That was written to the Jews who were weary and heavy laden with their religiousness. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my load is light. Come to Jesus and have your burdens taken away. Have your sin forgiven. Tremendous, wonderful reality. Some of you may have grown up in religiousness or even in a, in a, in a household where the truth was proclaimed, but you're doing it from the outside. And you've never had a heart that's been changed. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He says in our passage that you may live. That you may live. You see, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Back to our passage, incline your ear, listen. Let your heart, let your heart, let the hardness of your heart fall away. Listen, that you may live, that you may live. And notice what he says in the middle of verse uh, 3, that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. You'll have an everlasting covenant. A, pro- a covenant speaks of a promise, an agreement between God and you. And this is in the context of salvation. You come to him, he'll make an agreement about saving you. We see in Jeremiah chapter 31 this agreement to Israel by which we benefit through faith in Jesus Christ. Turn to Jeremiah 31, 31. You see, God had a deal with Israel. A covenant, an agreement. And in this new covenant that he had, we partake of by faith, as we see in the New Testament. We partake of the blessings of this new covenant. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant or agreement with the house of Israel. He had made an initial covenant with them, with his law, right? Which revealed how sinful they really were, didn't it? And he says, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand and led them out out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. By this, the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant I will make uh, with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. That's on their heart. And on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man and his neighbor and each man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And why will they know him? For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's the new covenant. That came about through Jesus' blood. Go up a little farther to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of the lands to which I have driven them in my anger and in my wrath and in my great indignation. And I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good 
and for the good of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that, why, that I will not turn away from them to do, to, to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in, the, in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. That's a great deal. God says you go to him, you listen to him, he's going to make a deal with you. And that deal is salvation. A salvation that is everlasting, you'll never turn away from him. It truly happens. What a wonderful, wonderful offer. Incline your ear, back in Isaiah 55. And come to me, listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Now in the context of Isaiah, this offer is to Israel, but we see in the New Testament this new covenant that Jesus brought through his blood that brings the forgiveness of sins to all who believe. So the Lord is basically saying, bend your ear, come to me and listen that you may live, and I'll save you from your sins forever. And I will do this according to my faithful mercies that I've shown to David. Oh, David was quite a sinner, wasn't he? And God was faithful to him, wasn't he? He was repentant and the Lord redeemed him, had redeemed him. He was a repentant man. David was a man that God exhibited his covenant faithfulness with. He's faithful to him. And based on God's faithfulness in regard to his promises with David, he will faithfully bring about in the future the salvation of Israel. And that's what I believe verses 4 and 5 are about. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader, speaking of David, a commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation, that word speaks of peoples or non-Jews. Behold, you will call a nation who you do not know and a nation which does which knows you not will run to you because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. It's basically saying here, someday, just as I exhibited my covenant faithfulness to David, I will do that with you, Israel, and on that day, peoples, non-Jews, will come to you because of your relationship with me, because you've been glor- you have been glorified in me through salvation. You say, I don't understand. Well, the point is that for Israel at that time, If they would listen, he would save them. But because of his ultimate faithfulness to David, they will be saved eventually. Not of all time, but at that time. So the same principle applies to us for salvation. You need to recognize your need of salvation. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need to recognize nothing you can do or will do can bring that about. It is only through the free gift that comes through the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who dies for, died for your sins and was pierced for your transgressions. And the offer is open to all who thirst, to all who recognize they need forgiveness of sins. Incline your ear and listen. Come to me and listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Now, our problem is we're unwilling to listen. We're unwilling to let our heart uh, listen to what God has to say. If your heart is hard and you don't want to listen, God's gracious. Lord, break my heart. Change my heart that I would listen. Sadly, we listen to our own desires rather than what God says. But God wants us to live He wants us to live eternally with him. Incline your ear and come to me and listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Come to him. Are you willing to accept the fact that sin has caused a separation between you and God? 
that your righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All the stuff you thought you did religiously, it's filthy to God. Are you willing to accept the fact that transgressions and sinners will be crushed together? Those who forsake the Lord will come to an end? That he will punish the evil and the wicked for their iniquity and put an end to the arrogance of the proud? Are you willing to admit that? And then come to him and receive the free gift without cost. Back to our passage. He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. And then notice in verse 5, there's a warning. There's a warning. Verse 5, excuse me, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now we need to recognize what type of seeking this really is. It's not a seeking based on your own wisdom to try to figure out if what he says is right or wrong and to work out all the things in your head. It is a seeking that is in context of calling upon him. Notice the parallelism. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. That seeking is call upon him, calling upon him to save you while he may be found. Context is key. Remember, he just made the offer. Come and buy salvation without cost. And then he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. This is not an independent seeking of the Lord because it's in parallel with calling upon him. Call upon him. You see, those who really seek the Lord are calling upon him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What a tremendous reality. He's near to those who are not saved yet. The offer is there. Tremendous reality. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And notice this points out a specific time that this needs to be done. You see, if you're convicted of your sin and you recognize that Jesus Christ died for your sins, stop working for your salvation and call upon him to save you while he's near. Seek him while he's near. Call upon him while he's near. While he may be found, seek him and then call upon him while he's near. Friend, there is a time in which God allows himself to be sought and found in the context of salvation while he's near. There's a time. This is amazing. God comes close to non-believers. He is near. And he does it through his spirit convicting the heart of sin, revealing Jesus through the gospel. He calls upon you to listen, to listen. When you've been convicted of your sin, you recognize your need for a Savior. God is near. God is near. Call upon him while he's near. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Salvation is not simply raising a hand or whatever it is. Now, you may have done that, but salvation has to do with calling upon the Lord to save you. Believing that he is the one who brought salvation, that we are sinful and that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And there is a window in which the Lord will allow you to respond. But if you don't, your heart will be hardened. 
We see this principle in Scripture. If you reject him calling upon you while he is near, he will allow your heart to be hardened, that you wouldn't be saved. That's a hard thing to think about. That's why it's a warning. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. And we want to look at verse 10. And here the Lord Jesus had begun to speak in parables. And those are stories that are thrown alongside to make a point, which by nature are not fully understandable apart from an explanation. Now in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus' disciples were wondering, why do you speak to them in parables? Why aren't you just making it clear? Why aren't you making it clear? Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them, that's the multitudes, in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Notice the contrast. But to them it has not been granted. The amazing thing is we're going to see it was granted earlier. They had the opportunity to hear the word of God, but they closed their ears so God allowed them to be hardened. The opportunity had slipped by them. It was done. The them speaks of the multitudes to which he is now speaking in parables. To you it's been granted, to them it has not. And notice the explanation, verse 12. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, what, even what he has shall be taken away from him. We see here, for true believers, it's an amazing statement. We're going to continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ. We're going to have it in abundance. Yet the contrast, but to he does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from them. He's making the case that these are those who have been granted the knowledge of Christ, that he's near, but yet had not responded, so he's taking that away. There was a time when they could have called upon the Lord while he was near, just as Isaiah said to these Jews. Jesus is making the case that those who have been granted knowledge when he's near but yet have not responded, there'll be a time when they will not be able to call upon him because they will have had their hearts hardened. Seek him while he is near. Call upon him. Or while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. It's a pretty scary thought to think about. There's a window of time that God allows someone to respond to his truth concerning Christ. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't push it down. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because there may be a day when you can't find him because he will veil himself from you. Look down at verse 13 of Matthew 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In the case, the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled, which says you will keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing but will not perceive. And notice the explanation for, here's the reason. Here's the reason why God is veiling it from them. For the heart of this people has become dull. Stop there. Dull means to be thickened, to be impervious, hard. That's your thinking. The heart has become dull. And it's a completed action. It's hard. For the heart of this people has become dull and their ears With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have what? Closed their eyes. See, they did that. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return that I may heal them. You see, if you reject the truth of God, you close your heart to it, then God pulls himself away from you. You don't want to do that. 
And if you have a hard heart, pray, Lord God, soften my heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul shares this same principle. And I'll read it to you. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. If you reject it, he allows Satan to blind your minds. It's a scary thought. Don't allow your heart to be hardened. Don't close your eyes to the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ. Back to Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Because you and I are sinful, God sent his son and he bore our sins in his body on the cross and he declares that there is judgment, that all should repent everywhere, but he has put his son in our place. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. Don't harden your heart. Seek him while he may be found. Now, some of you might be saying, I seek the Lord. I've been to many seeking type things. The reality here, it says seek, call upon him. That's the seeking, calling upon him for salvation. Recognizing you're thirsty and you need salvation. Seeking him for salvation, not seeking to figure out if you should be saved. Seeking him for salvation. And what does the seeking look like? Look back at uh, our passage in Isaiah. Seek the Lord, verse 6, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now here's what the seeking looks like. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You see, when we seek him rightly, we're forsaking our way. We realize my way is wrong. I can't get out of it. I'm stuck. My attitudes, my actions, my thoughts are wrong. Lord God, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm a prisoner. But you turn to him and he'll set you free. Seek him. He'll set you free. The unrighteous man, his thoughts, that's where it's at. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You see, that's Repentance. It's a turning to God from sin, but it's ultimately a change of mind. I change my mind about my sin. I believe what God says now. And from that change of mind, I turn to Jesus from my sin to be saved. What the Lord say through John the Baptist? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1, and after John had been taken into custody, now we see of Jesus. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Luke chapter 24, verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 3, verse 18, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets, of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer has been thus been fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 17.30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men, everywhere, men that all everywhere should repent, for he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, 
having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Let God's word change your mind about your need for salvation and your sinfulness and turn to God from your sin to be saved. Turn. You can't call upon the name of the Lord apart from, in that sense, forsaking your thoughts and your ways by turning to him. You say it's wrong. You recognize it's wrong. And you deserve his punishment. You turn to Jesus. Now I want to read verses 6 and 7 together. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And what's God's response? When we realize we're sinful and need a Savior and we turn to Jesus. What's God's response when we call upon the name of the Lord? It says in the end of verse, uh, middle of verse 7, And he will have compassion on him. Isn't that wonderful? And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This tremendously good news has two parallel statements. If you return to the Lord, then there's two things that happen. He will have compassion. And secondly, the implication is if you return to him, he will abundantly pardon. The term pardon here speaks literally of forgiving. It's translated forgive in many other places, such as the, the, the new covenant we read in Jeremiah. I will forgive their iniquity. Remember their sins no more. The offer of salvation is open to you. It's free. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And if you are, that's sin also, which must be forsaken by turning to Jesus, recognizing it's sin and asking for forgiveness. He'll forgive you. Are you listening? Are you willing to turn from your wicked ways and your unrighteous thoughts to Jesus? Are you willing to do that? Call upon him for salvation while he's near. While he's near. So with that in mind, why do it this way? Why not the other way people say we should be saved? Why this way? Notice God explains back in our passage in Isaiah 55, verse 8, for, this is why you should do it, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. You see, we think our way is the way, don't we? He says, my thoughts are not your, your thoughts and uh, my ways are not your ways. Your ways my ways. That's why. God's saying, turn to him, repent from your sin, stop trying to buy your salvation by your works, because my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways. God's thoughts and the way he does things are not the way we do things. We need to do it his way rather than our way. His way. And notice he continues. Verse 9, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Seek the Lord in the context of repentance because his thoughts and his ways are much higher than ours. He's God and we're not. Seek his way. The Lord's way is the only solution. It is way above anything we could ever think. And then notice he expands. 4, verse 10, for, for or because, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without water in the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater... So shall my word which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. This is a powerful verse which we could spend the whole day on here. 
But with the time left here, the point is because his ways are not our ways, our thoughts, his thoughts are not ours, we need to seek him while he's near. And we need to seek him because his word is the means in which he will accomplish this. You see, he's either going to accomplish the, the judgment he has said or he's going to accomplish salvation. It's based on your response. It's based on your response. His word will not return empty or void. It will accomplish what he desires. Friends, God's word will be accomplished no matter what. If you try to accomplish salvation by your own way, then you will die in your sins. Why do you buy that which does not satisfy? And that which is not bread, it's phony. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And notice the last portion of our chapter here. It, it really speaks of God's faithfulness to the fulfillment of the salvation of Israel in the future. For you will go out with joy and lead, be led forth in peace. Verse 12, and the mountains and hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You see, for Israel, Scripture reveals that when the Lord comes in judgment, Israel will turn, Romans chapter 11. A deliverer will come from Zion. They're going to turn. They're going to believe. All Israel of that day, not of all time. And then they're going to go into this reign of Christ, the millennium, and there's going to be no longer any curse. Verse 13, instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. A marvelous chapter which reveals what God offers to us. There's a lot of offers of salvation out there. A lot of different offers about how to come to Jesus. But the genuine offer comes from the Word of God. And His Word will not return void. And it declares His ways, not our ways. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. Maybe for some of you today, He is near to you. You're not saved yet, but He's working on your heart. Call upon Him. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Save me, Jesus. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then for those of us who know the Lord, that we've been so graciously blessed to call upon his name, this is the offer. This is the genuine offer that we should be sharing as the Lord leads the offer that we have the privilege of sharing as the Lord opens doors to share his truth. Will you seek him? Will you call upon him while he's near? And then for those of us who are saved, will we go out with joy and peace in the context of what Christ has done for us? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. What a wonderful, wonderful passage. And I pray for uh, those here, maybe who don't know you, that they would seek you while you're near and call upon you, that they would come and listen because it's life and death. And Lord, for those of us who've been saved, thank you so much for delivering us from our sins through your son Jesus. May we leave here with joy in the context of your peace. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.